Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one, some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to this week's episode of the Freedom Fridays podcast. Uh, my guest this week is uh, an old friend, not that she's old, but I've known Ali for a while. Um, she's a colleague. She's been working in this field of leadership and coaching for a number of years. And there's something interesting that I'd like her to share with us. So Ali, first of all, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Always good to see you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. And and at, for those that are listening and watching, Ali is in the UK where it's a, a perfect, apparently, winter morning. Uh, and I'm in Sydney where it's a perfectly humid Sydney evening. Yes, yeah, so we've got frost, we've got sunshine, we've got all the things that you want in combination in the winter. It's gorgeous. Cool. So as a bit of context, Ali, I, I as the listeners and, and you know, I'm, you know, a solopreneur, a single uh, business. I, I run it on my own, basically with some help, which has its challenges. Um, I got to the end of last year and I felt knackered. Despite me feeling knackered at the end of the previous year going, that's never going to happen again. Right. I fell into the trap. And, and you and I spoke offline about some of the early warning signs that I should have been aware of. And so typically in the popular press, you hear this term burnout. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I read some of the symptoms, if it was the self-diagnose, you know, by Mr. and Mrs. Google, I'd go, yep, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's all me. Um, yeah. That's something I'd like to explore if, if you wouldn't mind. And I know you've been doing some exploration. You've had experiences yourself you coach people a lot on this so my opening question is this why now why is burnout such a prevalent thing now oh well it's like a perfect storm at the moment <laughs> the horrors <laughs> that we are inflicting upon ourselves so um it's really difficult to know where to start because there are on the one hand there are lots of things building burnout or letting burnout grow so we can look at that and also I think there are lots of things that are stopping us noticing it early as early as we could so my experience is that people who really should know better if we're using that phraseology should notice easily like you you know what burnout is you mm. hear about it we're getting that we're still burning out even though we know what it's like and we, we mm. see it so Something is making leaders push through the early triggers of, oh, this doesn't right. feel quite right. I don't feel quite myself. Um, 
you know, I'm not enjoying my job as much as I was. I can't remember things. I'm just a bit exhausted. I don't want to go out for dinner with my partner. You know, I'm just a bit done. Um, maybe I'm fed up with the sector or I'm snapping at people, you know, not noticing those things as soon. And then the next day is in front of the screen again. We don't physically move our bodies as much as we were. So yeah. it's like it's coming at us from both sides. So the measures of growth in organizations that you push for, for more, sell more, grow more. Yeah. Don't move your body, stay in front of your screen. Uh, don't meet people so much because we're hybrid um, as we were. So it's just like a perfect combination of horrors um, yeah. coming at us. I, so I, I, I think, yeah, I, I do sense in the corporate world, which, you know, we do make most of our work in um, over the years, this, you know, clamor for productivity and efficiency meant, you know, there was three of us around and now one person's gone. So you mm. and I have got a job and a half. Yes. Right. With more expectation. And now suddenly, suddenly, you know, whatever the pandemic did for us, now there's only one of us left with two and a half jobs. Yes. And we've kind of come out of this weird time for the world with, uh, again, maybe this is a huge judgment. Some organizations leaders going right we need to fill the gap we need mm. to catch up what we missed over the last three years yeah. go for it come on Ali you've got the potential just just get it done get stuff done yes. and I'm reflecting on your initial comment and it's maybe a small distinction whether we're inflicting burnout upon ourselves or it's being inflicted upon us well I think both things happen um definitely both things i had an experience a couple of years ago or at the beginning of covid which really gave me some good insight into being back in the inside because i think we have a risk as external coaches consultants that we don't feel what our clients feel so yeah. i haven't experienced it i did an internal um contract for a while working on a team and suddenly felt that I've got a team's call every half an hour all day, might be able to sneak a pee at 11.30 if I managed to turn my screen off for long enough and mute. Um, and, and then at 6 p.m., after all the team's calls had finished, we started the work and the work got done. And I couldn't find anywhere to do any thinking. There was no thinking, there was no innovation, there was no creativity, it was just grafting hard. Mm -hmm. And it felt like trying to hold the sea back. So I, I just couldn't make the team hear me that this there could be more productive ways of working than everybody meeting on all of the calls and mm. because it was going so fast so I was I felt like I was sucked into a vortex and felt really inauthentic to myself because mm. I couldn't control my time I couldn't control my diary and the only thing I could do was leave because I couldn't impact it whereas if somebody hadn't felt what it could be like having time to be creative having time to innovate yeah. they wouldn't know the difference in that so and then there's that downward circle of when you're exhausted, you can't get off the sofa and go to the gym because you're knackered. So, so that happens. And then there's a biscuit gets eaten and then your diet goes to pot. And it's just one thing seems to be leading to the yeah. next and you get sucked in rather than this virtuous circle of I've got oxygen, I've got space, I can yeah. move, I can find some thinking I can do it better because I've thought about it so it's almost like we deprive ourselves by agreeing to be part of the system which is doing this um, mm -hmm. but then we have to pay the mortgage so it feels like it's a universally created something too mm. yeah my, my own experience of that 
anecdotally would be if I if, if something's amiss, that there's a gap in wh- whatever well-being things I'm doing, it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to go, well, I've missed the training session, so I'm just going to sit and watch Netflix. And, you know, a small packet of Maltesers is okay. And I'm not yes. going to get up early tomorrow to catch up. It, it becomes uh, like a vicious cycle. Whereas the other side, you know, I, I'm, you know, if I'm meditating or I'm sleeping well or I'm doing my morning, whatever it is, walk. Oh, well, I'm I'm going to have the salad, not the chips. Uh, no, I'm not going to have two biscuits. I'm going to have a quarter of one. And I'm going to go to bed at 10 and not midnight. And you, it becomes like a virtuous cycle. Yes. Have you, what's your experience in the people that you work with about what triggers either kind of root? What triggers the, the noticing of it? or the Well, the noticing. The... Well, I, I guess it's the, the acceptance that I'm on the vicious cycle and the acceptance that I'm on the virtuous cycle. Yes. Well, that's a great question. There's there's some there's some need for someone to notice that they're mm-hmm. they've fallen onto the downward spiral and also to want to stop mm-hmm. and to feel that they can. So some of it comes down to personality, of course. Yeah, you know, I do coach people who um, have a real people pleaser um, requirement. So they have been raised and raised themselves to want to over deliver to do a great job always and will then give up the hobby because they haven't met the deadline Mm. that that can be a trigger to a downward spiral is constantly chasing the next thing and not willing to stop Mm -hmm. boundaries I think probably the root of making the change so just deciding what comes first you know even that simple do I put my tennis routine in my diary first before I agree to work or mm. do I put work in first which we I think we've probably most of us seen that picture now on doing the rounds on social media the big rocks going in first and then the smaller rocks after and the gravel going last yeah we do tend to pile up the jar with gravel with work if we don't do it first but um for me it's about something that creates enough space to cause a stop first so if I don't get out for my run, my brain doesn't have time to stop. And then I can easily deteriorate into chasing the, the emails and getting yep. straight onto the work. If I can just make myself keep that first boundary of get a run, and then I'm more likely to have a light breakfast. So for me, it would be that. It would be starting the day that way. Someone else, it might be, if I can get all my work, then I go to Zumba or whatever it is in the, in yeah. the evening. Yeah. or I read the book I like so I think it's about starting somewhere with the one little boundary that you're willing to hold on to but the the thing I often talk about with clients is with true true burnout I mean the real proper drive home from work and you can't get out of your car and you get carried home you know that that happens mm. nobody gets a letter the week before to say in a week it's going to happen because you really, <laughs> really really got there it just gets you and you you Almost everyone I've ever spoken to who's hit that wall has looked back and thought, yeah, there were some signs. I did have some tingling in my fingers. I could feel my top lip um, quake when I tried to speak. You know, there were signs and we're, we're ignoring those and pushing through them to, to, until we really break. So it's a... It, 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 it fascinates me because on many occasions, like you, when working with clients in, in a dialogue conversation whether it's one-on-one or in a group 
you know, whether it's about strategy or leadership or might doesn't, it could be anything. And I would ask, you know, very simple question, you know, if you were to document what to do, mm. what would you say? And almost every single time they can document exactly what to do. So I'm kind of referring to, and I haven't taken this the wrong way, you know, I should know better. Mm-hmm. Well, I do know better, probably more than most. And I reckon most people know either what they're doing is not so good and what they're not doing is not helping. Well, they probably know it, yes. but something's preventing them actually doing it. Yes. doing what they know yeah. well one do you see that and how do they do it not just know it i believe i'm not a behavioral psychologist but i believe the psychology behind it will be people are getting a reward from what they're doing somehow so they're either getting paid well mm-hmm. or they're getting told they're great or they're actually enjoying it. You know, we can keep doing something we love until we burn out. We don't have to be miserable yeah. burning yeah. out. People do burn out doing stuff they love doing. Yeah. So it's it comes down to. I mean, if I use myself as an example at the moment, I am more tired than usual, doing some things I don't really want to be doing, saying yes to some things I don't really want to be saying yes to, and really aware that the little early stages of burnout are definitely waving at me in a kind of, you know, you know this stuff and you're still doing it. (laughs) So I'm in that moment that you're describing, that thinking of what am I doing here? Why am I still doing it? And some of it is I'm not sure what else to do instead. Some Mm -hmm. of it is um, I feel like if I had a holiday, I might be able to think better. And then I can feel myself going to that downward. If this happens, once this has happened, you know, we hear people, once I've delivered this project or once my kids have done their GCSEs or whatever the exams are globally, but when this has happened, then that might be different. And actually it's the courage to say, uh -uh, you know, that's not the case. It could happen today. You you can stop. And the only way to do it is to put a boundary in of some sort and decide. I'm going to look at this and like with all behavior change really self-awareness comes first so just noticing I look a little bit burnt out at the moment I am noticing the signs hello yeah. signs here you are I can see yeah. you and just letting it in a bit is the, really the first step yeah. to it um what that triggered in me was the thought and I oh I'm, I'm trying to reframe this because I would I was about to say I suffer from this because in many situations it's not a suffering I quite enjoy it but mm. over indexing I, I suffer definitely and, and what I'm talking about is this idea that what I do is who I am yeah. but that's interesting because I'm also a father and a husband and a mate and a son but that just doesn't seem to take as much of the space as the work I do Right. And so, you know, here's somebody who I respect and care for and who's knowledgeable telling me, you've got to have some boundaries, Pete. But my whole identity is wrapped up in pushing through, creating a new workshop or program and delivering this. And, you know, it's just wrapped up in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. So how how do I... There's not a personal coaching session here, but I'm sure many people have their work wrapped up in who they think they are. Yes. Do you have any thoughts or counsel or perspective on that? Yeah, what 
what just happened in my brain when you were describing that was it reminded me of some coaching I had when I was talking about public speaking because as a northerner I speak very quickly and I've been trying for years to learn to speak more slowly and I was taught you probably can't learn to speak more slowly but you can add more pauses in so stop more often mm -hmm. and so that's an interesting idea when you think about the personality that might burn out by over indexing so mm -hmm. if I think about myself I get really interested in things so I've taken up tennis a couple of years ago I can't just play now and again I have to play loads and all week and get better at my forehand and try and serve faster and all of that happens because that's just the way I roll and that's the way you burn out is doing that in all sorts of places but I have learned to stop more to put more pauses in so to notice oh here's me getting interested in another thing again or it could be someone at work oh, hello, here's my boss giving me another project. You know, the, why do I keep getting all these projects that I say yes to? Yeah. You might be someone who gets interested in everything and say yes to all of those things. And maybe that's who you are always going to be, someone who gets interested in everything. Yes. Yeah. You could stop sometimes or make sure that you're getting the walk sometimes or that your workstation means you stand up sometimes or that you're just some that's starting somewhere with it and noticing that it's a, a recipe for danger yeah and I, I think that's the first thing is for us to all notice that it is dangerous what we're doing you know we are combining a recipe we're putting in the pots and things that together will make a dangerous combination yeah. so more hybrid working less connection with people yeah. less walking that kind of thing I, I, again I, I have no argument with what you've said uh, I find me included you know the analogy you know it, it's hard to even believe it's still a thing but people do well ironically people still smoke and if they don't smoke they now vape and and with that identity you know here they are smoking the cigarette going you look I, I know cigarettes kill people but not me and if it is me it's not this one It'll be the one that I smoke in 10 years time. That's the one that's going to kill me. Yeah. So if I, if I relate that to what I've you know, found myself falling into the trap of going, if and, and the, the counter is true to if I, you know, the classic, a bit of a cliche, but it seems to bear out. If I own my first part of the day, you know, if I own the morning, I can then own more of the day, whatever I, you know, whether it's uh, a, a juice or a walk or some meditation or some movement, whatever it might be, whether it gives me agency or control or whatever it might be, if I get that done at the beginning of the day, what tends not to happen is what you hear people say, well, the day ran away with me. Yeah. Right. It doesn't run away with me because I've got the stuff done for me the fuel, if you like, in the morning. Now, if, for example, I don't prepare that the night before, at least intentionally, and I, you know, I've had a, you know, a late night call like this, and I can, well, I'm not going to get up at my usual time because I need an extra half an hour sleep. And then I hit the snooze button and it's like 45 minutes later. So I lose my ability or my perception. I lose my ability of controlling the day because I'm now, you know, it's now 8 a.m. and, well, I've got to get showered and ready because my first call's at nine, so I better get down and check the news and make sure I've got no emails from the UK overnight. And then, boom, I'm into my day 
And guess yeah. what? The day runs away with me. Yes. So I, I'm, I, there's no question in there. It's more just a case of, duh, I should know better. <laughs> yeah, but that, I mean, with the smoking and with the, the running around, that is the essence of denial, isn't it? Of, of not acknowledging mm. the truth of the size of the problem. So, so whatever the technique is, whether it's getting a grip in the morning or playing rugby on a Saturday, or it's having the big conversation with the boss, it's knowing that some small lever like that will make quite a profound change, I think is probably mm. really important for people. Because it, mm. it can feel, if you're doing a great big job that you've consented to for 10 years and you've just kept getting promoted and you that's what you've created, it can feel really difficult to, yeah. to know what the hell am I, because I've, I've built my mortgage payments around that job or you know, what it's all created. Um, so I think that can probably loop round into quite a scary stuck place of, yeah. I'm burning out and I have no idea how to stop burning out. And, and, and so if people are listening to this thinking that is me, I am sliding into that, just knowing that some small change will, it, it will create a reaction. It's impossible for it not to start somewhere. You just have to start somewhere and, yeah. and then build some, your boundary you're talking about is getting up when the alarm goes off with the intention you set the night before to do the thing you said you'd do. Yeah. But, but there's also, I mean, there's a whole world of people maybe parents with little kids or people caring for people where their, their morning gets knocked off whack all the yeah. time because yeah. they're not, they don't have that control, but still something can, can work. I, I've also, I mean, you know, that my origins were physiotherapy. That's where I started my world. So I'm still very connected to the body and it's, it's, it's our responsibility to it. And it's to us, you know, the, even just thinking, I was supposed to be a moving creature, you know, that's that's where we came from. And how do I actually spend most of my day? That's an easy start. You know, even if you can't change anything about your meeting length, you could walk more or stand up sometimes, or you know, just are you feeling strong? Has your body got what it needs to do the job you're asking it to do? Well, so often, Ali, I've heard phrases like, you know, if you want to get out of your head, get into your body. Mm. And I, and I I sense people have, you know, obviously we've got, and, and I'm going to say maybe controversial, mostly write this intention and more conversation about mental health. But I wonder if it's too limited a conversation about mental health when, mm. you know, you would know, and I've experienced, my physical health contributes to my mental health. My relationship yeah. health contributes to my mental health. My yeah. spiritual health contributes to my mental So mental health is just, I don't think, and again, I'm not an expert, so <laughs> this could be rubbish. Mental health is so much more than just mental health, it seems. Yes. Whole human health is so yeah. <laughs> an important thing. Yes. And there's something as well that's interesting around, so when you asked me right at the beginning, why now for burnout? Yeah. So for me personally, why now? I suppose there is a link to the fact I'm in my early 50s. And so my body's changing a lot, as all women's do. And men are deteriorating factually as well towards yes. getting older. Um, yeah. And and at that time, we're very often peaking in our career. So the pressures are on. The teenagers have just started to leave. Um, if, the, if people have kids, you know, that there's a chapter where 
the, the house gets more spacious and there's another chapter of big work while your body's getting more tired. And are we honoring that and giving that what it needs at the same time as well is, is big thinking. But, and what are we ignoring in our bodies? So quite often, if you, if you ask a senior leader in a coaching session, tell me what's going on in your body, well, there's a there's a, a cold sore or there's a, a stomach yeah. upset or there's a, yeah. you know, my body's not great, to be honest. You know, I'm not, and it comes out and people are just ignoring it because they're too busy. Um, and that's very interesting to me that we've created this this life now where bodies are kind yeah. of not mentioned or honoured like Almost that. ignored. Hmm. Just I, relied I, upon, this body will keep me going. Yes, what's yeah. Going. yeah, it's almost taken for granted. Hmm. But until yes. you know, some some life event happens and you're slammed in a hospital for three weeks, like shit, I got to change. Yes, yes, but, and that's interesting. Why do we have to have a heart attack before we yeah. change? And and the data says many people who have a heart attack don't make any changes after. That, that's that's what it reminded me of. And I can't remember the exact data, but something like out of a hundred heart attack patients, when instructed by the the surgeon to you know you've got to change your lifestyle or you will die. Right. perhaps you could argue the most ultimate consequence ever only 38 percent do yes it's fascinating isn't it what <laughs> you should know better you you've just been told you got to change your lifestyle but i wonder you know it kind of makes me philosophical and go well do we deserve it and do we kind of deserve burnout <laughs> well well there's a question is it do we deserve better but Part of it that I notice is the more money we've got and the more privilege, the less the body is required to do. So I noticed as a young adult, things happening, like I'm old enough that I had a car without power steering and then had a car with power steering. And suddenly you can feel the muscle in your arms a bit um, impacted by not having to move the steering wheel as stiff as it was and then you get a posh house with an electric gate and suddenly you don't have to jump out of the car and open the gate you just press the button and the gate opens and then you go and I think it's rather similar with technology and privilege and leadership where actually physically we might be being less demanded in the, in the world we create and technology isn't serving bodies so it's fantastic news that the whole sport tech industry med tech it's all on the grow again now because Maybe we've reached a cul-de-sac of oh, it doesn't work without the body. We're going to have to really look at that yeah, again. That's, that's fascinating, isn't it? And again, most of my dealings with clients would be they're so stuck and reliant and revere almost what's going on in the head, mm. which is ironic because obviously that's part of your body. Sure. But it's almost like it's separate too. Yes. Perceived to be, yeah, but my head's, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a strategic thinker. Oh, and how often do you hear people get complimented by, oh, they're really smart? Yes. But it's all just what's between their ears. Yeah, absolutely. Without an appreciation of the holistic impact of your body on your thinking and vice versa. Mm. Yeah. And then if you, if you want to stretch us a little, there's, mind and gut you know what's going on in your gut to what's going on in your head whereas actually those two things are quite connected you know by the whole neural system and the body so often i i feel something across my shoulders or in my chest or in my breathing or in my knees or my legs or you know when you're nervous you can feel your chemicals everywhere it's all one big human and so 
maybe there's something in that that somebody who's feeling stuck could start to just feel their body. What can you actually feel? Where is that back pain starting from? Is it really the chair or is it tension? Or is it, you know, what's what's going on? Um, and and actually the the time saving of stopping and walking. Is it that um, saying about meditation, you should meditate for 30 minutes a day unless you haven't got time and then you should do it for an hour. So it's the same, I think, with a walk. Um, you know, if you haven't got time to go for a walk because you've got so much to do, you should go for a walk because it'll all be done more quickly when you, when you get back to the desk. Yeah, yeah, that's the irony, isn't it? And that's, that, that's where I think we've just got stuck and blind to this pushing through back to back and look, it was a badge of honour in the 80s, right? Mm. And it seems like we've kind of come back to this. There's so much going on. Like you say, I haven't got the time to stop and go to the bathroom. Yes. How many times I've been to a meeting in mid-afternoon when someone's come into the meeting going, do you mind if I have my lunch? Yes. And I'm going, oh, my God, what's going on in your head or with your boss and your team that that's okay? on the odd occasion yeah we all get but that's a pattern that's a habit yes why why are we how, what have we got to the place where it's become the norm well working on teams and zoom means you can now come to work with flu if you keep your screen off you can just keep pushing on through everything you don't even need to stop for bugs you can have covid and come to meetings it's great yeah, yeah. not no it's yeah. scary stuff yeah, yeah. But that's got to come from the top, from the culture of the organisation, hasn't it? I mean, that's the work that we could be doing with lead teams is what's, what are the unwritten rules of acceptance here? What are we letting pass? You know, what, who are we not sending home that shouldn't be there? What, yeah. What's all that's going out? I did hear of a chief people officer interviewing someone for a wellness resilience type position in the team with flu in bed. And the, the candidate was saying, I'm not coming here if that's what you do. It's not for me, thanks. But, but that's interesting, you know, that's what's coming yeah. from the lead team. So yeah. if the leaders aren't modelling rest, breaks, reflection, innovation spaces, that it's not going to happen further down. It's got to come from there. Yeah. And there's an, that, for me, there's an interesting irony there because, uh, you know, we'd see that, you know, every day, depending on which sport you might be involved in. You know, we see it in high-performing sports all the time. And, and yet the counter-argument to that, certainly sometimes from corporate, is, yeah, but they're only performing once a week. Yeah. Which you can argue, yeah, I get it. You know, they're, you know, the performance is the game and they've got the whole week to recover for the game, whereas, you know, the corporate game might be it's every day. Yes. How, how would someone break that mentality, not to kind of go, well, I'm only going to work once a week, not literally that, but how would they break that mentality of going, well, I just have no time to recover, to put space in? I think probably, I mean, you ask 100 people, you get 100 answers to that. But I think for me, I would certainly go looking for people who do it well first and mm -hmm. speak to them, ask them, because whenever you're somewhere where you feel like you're drowning in work and you can't cope with it, there'll be someone who's very chilled out and who's managing to manage that differently right. from how you're doing it. So it's interesting. It's a boundary question. What are they willing to tolerate and what are they not willing to tolerate yeah. and what order are they doing things and what are they delegating and yeah. what are you saying yes to? One of the things I notice a lot in senior leaders is if they've stayed somewhere a long time 
uh, it's not giving away some of the stuff that they've taken with them into that new role. So right. sometimes moving to a new company can give you a chance to start again. So I'm not suggesting everybody leaves their job. Yeah. That's an interesting concept that you don't stop anything. You don't put any bags down before you pick some more up. And yeah. that would be a very quick go through your calendar. What's stuck with you and come with you that really shouldn't be with you anymore? What should have been left at the door when you came into this role? I've sat quite often with execs just stripping out the stuff they shouldn't still be doing. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 I sense many executives um, have kind of metaphorical five mile wide shoulders. Hmm. And yeah. they're carrying, and, and not least we know psychologically they're carrying stuff from origin. <laughs> Let's not get into that yet. But they're carrying stuff on the previous role and the expectations of, of the boss and the parent company and the shareholders and the customers and their team. And we've got an offsite to do and then I've got a client meeting and then I'm going to coach someone and someone's not well. So I'm going to, you know, it's, it's just, it's just overwhelming. Yes. Yes. And I think the two approaches to that um, that have worked really well. Someone asked me in my business, if someone bought your business, uh, tomorrow and started the following day what would they just stop straight away what would they look at and say that's ridiculous just don't do any of that and great that's question. a really great question and people in jobs can do that to you what would somebody just not do if they took over your job um, tomorrow? I, mean, I mean again you don't have to share if it's confidential what did you say did you did you answer the question yes well I had a good look at some of the stuff that actually was ludicrous you know some of the things I was still doing trying to please people keeping things going from ages ago or things that weren't necessarily profitable. We were running a great big program for a great right. big automotive dealer that we were probably paying to deliver because we just have been doing it for so long. You know, one of those where it sneaks bigger and bigger. Um, yeah. So yeah, just looking afresh at something and, and taking the time to do that. Yeah. Um, and the other one I was going to say, I've forgotten now. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to it. Um, <laughs> if you'd be willing to share, I'm, I'm really interested because in some ways you're um, the same as me. You're a, you're you're a mum. I'm a dad. Um, you're a partner. I've got a partner. Um, and you're. I, th I think it's just mainly you running your business, isn't it? Yes, I've got um, a team. But yes, a yeah. Team, but you yeah. you'd be the solopreneur in in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Take out. Let, let's kind of part the daughter and the sister and all the other roles that we play. All right. But even just those three roles. Mm. And I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to gender this for a second. How do you cope? And how can you possibly even thrive when the obligation or the expectation is that you've got to do it all? Yeah, there's the question of the century, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now he's going to get me started. Um, <laughs> well, that question around doing it all. I mean, that's the that's the big thing in that question isn't it it's, you can't do it all yeah for everyone all of the time you can have moments where everything's in flow and it just all feels great but I think to aspire to that is an impossible dream what your contentment is is what we're seeking isn't it rather than mm. smashing everything all of the time maybe that's part of the the burnout mindset is smashing everything all of the time yeah. I think um I, don't, I was thinking about this earlier. I think the chapters in our life are very profound, particularly for a woman. So I can only speak from a woman's shoes. I've only done it as a woman. And, and I've done it as a single mum as well. Um, wow. So that's intense, you know, trying to do that. And the fact is my career was massively limited by becoming a single mum. And 
if I had a message for any women becoming single women, I would say, watch out for that when you're talking money. <laughs> yeah, because right. you, I mean, not every single mum is in the same situation, but I was very much raising the kids on my own. Um, and, and so every time I tried to put my foot down on my career, you know, a big opportunity would come, something would happen at home, I'd have a naughty kid or I'd have a, something happen yeah. and I would have to take my foot back off the accelerator. Yeah. And that's on me, not on my kids. That, those are the choices I made. I could have kept my foot on the accelerator and got a nanny. I, I chose not to at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And, but finding contentment in that is still possible, but it's a constant realigning of expectations. And I think the route to danger is not realigning the expectations and really still wanting to push on. So we, we spoke momentarily about Jacinda Ardern and her decision to stop um, mm. and her signs of burnout. Just the most fantastic decision to stop before falling in a heap for me. And um, I know everyone will have their own view on that, but, but listening to the signs of it's too much, I don't feel okay. She said, I felt as if I should be restored by the end of the summer and I didn't feel restored. I mean, that's one of the first signs of dangerous burnout is you mm -hmm. don't feel better after a holiday and and so just accepting that is truth and so what do you want to create in the truth that you've got for mm -hmm. me feels like helpful thinking doesn't mm -hmm. mean I don't wake up sometimes and feel annoyed I haven't got as much money <laughs> as my ex that's an offline conversation <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. But I made the choices and I was there with the kids and, and that's yeah. still the choice I'd make again. So yeah, that, that's yeah. cool. But this having it all conversation isn't isn't a conversation I don't think. I don't think anybody probably can have it all. Yeah, I wonder if it's in the distinction. Um and I'm 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 kind of talking out loud because if I reframe it is you know, even just those three labels we use, you know, partner, mum, solopreneur, you are it all. Yeah. you're you're all three yeah um and i wonder if the do it all inherent in it is you smash all three yes and unless you're smashing <laughs> one of them or two of them then you're unworthy of the label yes but then it's about what does smash it mean so yeah. um with the parenting for example um one parent compared with another parent would describe what smashing it would be, wouldn't they? So I, I feel as if I've got very competent kids who could make their way around the world competently because I haven't been able to do all of the things that two parents being there for them without a job would have been able to do all the time. Yeah. But, but that for me is smashing it that they can get their own act together. Um, but it's not what I'd imagine necessarily on you know, in every occasion, not being there for them or having to stay away with work. Yeah. It's, it's not always what, smashing it is not definable necessarily, is it? So it's that, it's that your own relationship with smashing it, I think perhaps is helpful to explore what's success. That, that's, that, that question around relationship, um, I've asked many times to many different people and you should see the the trans derivational searching that goes on when they don't even kind of compute the question you know what's your relationship with fear what's your relationship with your body what's your relationship with yourself what's your relationship with it's like oh i thought i thought relationship was just with one other person <laughs> but just yeah. how you relate to smashing it success burnout all the roles that we play it's a fascinating question yes it is and and if to stay with the woman part of it, 
it's hard not to really in that success part that yeah. the expectations on women to to be a certain way or not be a certain way add another level of complexity yeah. to it so even at the weekend I got into a conversation which started off jokey but actually was rather inflammatory where there was a conversation about what a strong woman is and who you know when is when is a woman strong is that a bad thing or is that a good thing or you know are we supposed to be strong we're not too strong and you know people don't like it if we look and feel too strong but actually you have to be pretty strong if you're going to be a woman and have a job it's an interesting yeah juggle that is expected of of female senior leaders to be strong yeah well look you know as, as we chatted a little bit before we came online here, it's, it's it's unfathomable, unfathomable to me how we've come to this place. So again, I don't want to get into that space right now, but I do want to pick up on the, the leaders, that, the female leaders that you work with, that you see do it well. And I know do it well is a subjective definition. What do they tend to do? What are some of the patterns that you've seen in the female leaders that do it well? Yeah, that's a great question because. Um, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that is which of the female leaders can keep reinventing themselves well? Because the difference between a female professional life and a male, I think, is the chapters, the constant transition of the woman. So whether or not they decide to have kids, there's still a, you know, from being a child to being a young woman to being a competent middle-aged woman, and then menopause will come for everybody. And yeah. and becoming a mum or IVF or all of the other things that impact hormones that will happen and, and all the different personalities and, and roles that we take. The mm. women I know who do it well, if I, if I measure that as, if I measure do it well, I include they're happy and having a nice life doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, they're the ones who are agile in deciding for this chapter, this is what, it, what I want it to be like. And, um, this is what I'm willing to put up with and this is what I'm not willing to be put up with. And this is what I want my professional reputation to be based on. You know, it's not about working dawn till dusk and never seeing my family. It's about mm. what it is. So it's quite easy to define Jacinda Ardern's personal brand. She's worked very hard to make sure that's clear. This is who I am and what I stand for. So let's say mm -hmm. that's one of the measures is that sort of self-defining of who you are and what you stand for. Yeah. And look again, it's it's interesting, you know, using um, Jacinda as an example because obviously in Australia we're a bit closer to New Zealand, and some of the commentary on the ground is sadly less than complimentary. Yeah, and yet she has this phenomenal. It would appear, perhaps it's press driven. I don't know. But this phenomenal perception of her as a leader, let alone female leader. Yeah. And yet it's not quite the same in the country that she was governing. Yes. It's a fascinating incongruence. Yes, and maybe further away, we don't hear so much about the actual facts and the principles of her government decisions, but we see oh. the leadership personality and the, yes. the preferences she's taking in terms of how yeah. she shows compassion or the yeah so so there's an interesting conversation there about whether or not you're actually making good decisions compared to whether you're using the behaviors that are yeah perceived leadership yes. yeah but then there's also in that question that you asked about 
or the the observation that it's less positive that is factually more likely to be true as a female leader that you just are generally attacked yeah. more <laughs> so How, oh. <laughs> again unfathomable to me why that would happen why do you think it happens well that's a life's work to try and understand that i mean there's <laughs> There are things that have been written very publicly, like Sheryl Sandberg's original Lean In book, um, yeah. which has come under some fire for various things. But there's a very interesting research in there about the same story being told, gendered male or female. And mm. when it was a woman and powerful, she was less popular than if it was a man. Um, so the same, same story, just as a woman wasn't liked. Right. So we attach adjectives to women um, that are not attached to men for doing the same kind of thing and um, even some of the language that we use you know the um describing women as intimidating or bossy or you know wh whatever they might be called which we just wouldn't use for men but uh, yeah, so there's something very very far back in all of that you'd never hear somebody call a man bossy no no there is a ban bossy campaign in the uk to try and highlight that that is a gendered piece of abuse yes yes and bossy uh, again uh, raise my awareness what other adjectives are used that are gendered that are never used to describe a, a man um well there you can usually you can do a column of words for men and for women for the same emotion so if you right. take yes if, if you take rage for example proper big anger then women yeah. would be called over emotional she's a bitch you know she's that these kind of words that are associated yeah. with high emotion women with a man he's strong he's impactful he knows his own mind he's he's a he's a leader and um, so so all of those words are flipped both ways and that's not for all women in all cases there are some amazing yeah. organizations where amazing women are being given everything they need to be fantastic mm. but it does. I mean, it happens in little girls and little boys. You see, you see the differences very, very early. And at the moment, the male leaders at the top are still the dads of the little girls at the moment. So we've got some more unconscious bias to, to live through until we get yeah. to the generation where these young boys that are being taught differently get to the yeah. top. No offence to, to you, who has a very open daddy, I'm sure. No, 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 well, <laughs> you know, none taken. And I... And I I guess I, I, I do feel a little bit complicit because it's my cohort, if, if you like, um, without assuming responsibility. I, and I'm, I might quote this wrong, but I think it was something off. I don't know if you're familiar with the Man Enough podcast. No, I don't know that. Which is um, two men and a woman who discuss about how to redefine toxic masculinity. And I've listened to some fascinating mic drop moments in, in that podcast and what I'm referring to is um, some research that was done that and this I don't know if this is more American or global I don't know so again I don't want to quote it but something like men who have daughters want their daughters to be strong assertive confident you know because that's my daughter but don't want the same attributes to show up in their partner yes Yes, that's just for me as a kind of like I'm 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 interested in the psychology of that and you know all of the impact of that is just staggering. Yes, it's mind blowing and it's and mind -blowing. The, yes it is and and 
almost impossible to begin to get words around it because it's too it, it doesn't make any sense you know, if it was if it was to do with people who are called Sarah or people who are called James you know we're going to treat yeah. everyone called James like that be like no yeah. no because yeah. no, it's not fair so there's no there's nothing logical that will work with that but if we're linking it back to the burnout yeah. thinking for women in senior leadership positions there's something very important in all of that to be including in the in their thinking about how they want to look after themselves and mm. where they want to be having their fights or not or you know, where they want to be working I'm, I'm always in a dilemma when when I'm working with an organization where there's some really proper old school sexism showing up and I'm working with women often we're asked to come and you know, do a coaching circle with this group of women and help them have the big conversations and I'm always very torn between, yeah, let's help them with that. And also leave, go work somewhere else. <laughs> Don't stay with him because he does this. So it's a, it's a real dilemma. Are we trying to change the world or actually are we looking for more female founders to set up more organisations? Because actually it takes, makes me think of that old joke about um, when you're asking for directions somewhere and they say, well, if you're going there, I wouldn't start from here. You know, if you were trying to create an equal world you wouldn't start from here and try and change it oh. to an equal world you would create something different so it's going to need some real innovative change for something and, and I, I sense it, it reminds me of the old um the hackneyed starfish story you know sure. somebody walking up the beach and there's you know the beach is covered in starfish and they're picking up one and throwing it in and picking up one and throwing it in. And, you know, the comment is, well, you can't possibly hope to affect all of them. Nope, but I can this one. Yes. And I can this one. So, you know, accepting and acknowledging the dilemma, um, just honouring and acknowledging the work that you do with people, women, in those situations, because we probably can't change everything, yes. but you can change that one. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that one. For definite, and I think maybe we're helping starfish help each other too. <laughs> so, one of the things we've started really, really focusing on over the last few years is working in in a way that causes a movement rather than just with one female leader. So, connecting women together with each other in groups of six or eight to be coached together in across an organisation. So, many cohorts of those groups who then globally can support each other and speak to each other. Right. And we've used rituals and structures in those coaching circles, which okay. things like strengths focus, um, using listening environments, improving coaching skills across cohorts of women. Um, and, and so now we've got groups in Beijing and Toronto who've all gone through the same kind of thinking. And so now can pick up the phone or teams call to another woman to say, this is something that I'm struggling with. What would you do? And that feels for me, like I can sleep at night better than when I was trying mm. to go knocking on lead team doors and trying to change that way. Yeah. So, Is that what you would call a coaching circle? Yeah, well, coaching circles exist in lots of different ways. You can just take six people, coach them. But when we go into organisations and implement a coaching circle programme, it's about that. Yeah, it's about creating a movement. of right. Because I was very disturbed when I did some diversity and inclusion work a few years ago. I got very upset by the idea in all the culture change books it says culture change has to come from the top and we know factually that everyone at the top nearly apart from a few is a bloke <laughs> so I thought that means by definition it's up to men to for change to happen and we can't therefore impact it as women and I wasn't willing to go there with that thinking mm -hmm. so I thought okay so if that's 
what, how else could you change a culture other than from the top? And the answer is in big numbers of people who all have some shared purpose um, in an organization. Yeah, but I like that in terms of creating a movement because a movement can mm. happen from anywhere. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and we, we now have made it a bit better where people get buying from their leader. So that could be the guy above them. Um, and we also get senior male sponsorship across the organization to mm -hmm. come and help with that conversation as well. And um, a big part of that whole conversation in the coaching circles is around wellness, avoiding burnout, keeping going, keeping the energy going as well, because what we don't want is women conking out and dropping out of the leadership talent pipeline because they're too tired yeah. with the whole thing. Yeah. And, and I sense, I'm guessing the research would go, if they, if they did, they would be labelled and therefore it would be, you know, this self-fulfilling prophecy and, you know, the, the classic research, you know, there's 10 attributes and the woman goes, well, I haven't got two of them. And the bloke goes, I've only got two, I'm going to go for it anyway. Yes, absolutely. I know that's stretching yeah. out a bit, but that's the essence of it, isn't it? Absolutely is. And that's built into the nature of the coaching as well in the circle of that, that noticing that in each other. So calling that out as a thing that women are likely to uh, take themselves out of equations before they've even started. And, and it's easier to spot that in each other than it is in oneself. So building in that peer accountability is very helpful. And so mm. they notice it in themselves and their teams and their daughters and their everyone. So, yeah. so yeah. Um, I'm, I'm maybe opening myself up here a little bit. What, what, you know, broadly, you know, not maybe not specifically, but what could I do as a white middle-aged man, right? It's my cohort. Um, and so I'm accepting a little bit of complicity in that. What, what could I do? Well, there are some, there are some organizational things that men could do um, mm -hmm. as, and also some personal things in, in noticing it. So I think um, organizationally, there are practical things like understanding that when we, put jobs out to market there is some language that will attract men more than women for example mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. would be easy to just go on a course and learn and just accept that that's true yeah. mm -hmm. and there are some small things like um going out for drinks after work um that uh, amongst the hundreds of women i've worked with that comes up all the time as soon as they become a young mummy they drop out of the social scene uh, yeah. and where the conversations happen because they can't join those things so thinking carefully about where the social side of of an organization lies and where the big decisions are made. I mean, the worst I've heard about in my career was in Sweden. There was an, a lead team where they looked as if they were having the big conversations during the day. And then the men went for a sauna in the evening and that's where the actual decision was made. So I was trying to coach a woman trying to decide whether she should just walk in, take her kit off and get in the sauna and see if that would help the decision that she wasn't up for that. Um, but that, I mean, that, that's an extreme, but it's a useful metaphor because that kind of happens in, in different ways in different places. And mm. um, so there's that understanding organizational bias and, and knowing what makes it harder, really accepting it as a truth that it just is harder for women to get there. Mm. Sometimes one of the trickinesses we have is that some of the women who've done very well in my generation and are at the top have managed to do it by being hardcore and just... Yeah adopting the behaviors of the men and getting there. And sometimes they say, there's no problem here. I've managed to do it. Why can't everybody else do it? So right. mm -hmm. that can be tricky in itself. So understanding there are different ways of being a woman and that just, if you can look around your boardroom and see a woman, it doesn't mean that it's fine for all women in that organization necessarily. It could still be very hard. 
Yeah, there might be a temptation to use that as evidence, right? You know, we've, mm. we've got our, we've got our, rot- our 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 um ratios and you know quotas sorted, so we're good. Yes, yes. So that question, as you would have with any culture program, really, of who does well here, is an interesting question. Who succeeds, and which women succeed here, and which ones are we losing? But with a real mm. acceptance that diversity breeds innovation so if everybody's seeing the world through the same lens then you're limiting your your success by bringing in someone that feels really different it will be difficult because it's it's harder um, but that will breed innovation yeah so on the personal side i think it's i mean you're doing what what you're doing is listening it's learning it's it's exploring it's asking big deep questions of individual people what would help you what's making it difficult for you with the real knowledge that we've got of these generations of women having just not had the opportunities come at them in the same way statistically still less likely to get a job they apply for and those but I, i worry always with the question you know what would help because every woman wants needs different things but i think that holding it mindfully those chapters that occur for women every time something new happens there's a baby or there's a yeah, there's a change in life it's hard again you have trying to get back into the workforce we just keep it's like the, the rug keeps slipping a little bit for women it's yep. just that bit harder at each yep. stage yeah well thank you i think you've let me off the hook a little bit there <laughs> just, <laughs> i appreciate the the candor and the, the sensitivity um maybe one last question ali and um again you can answer this in any way shape or form you you talked about the significance for women with the chapters, mm. the chapters that they are going through in life, which is so multifaceted. Faceted. What's the next chapter for you? Oh, there's a good question. Well, I I feel really um, I can feel a page turning in my life because we've got four kids and they're all almost off the books (laughs) and going on to do their things. And um, I can feel a sense of, at 53, a sort of a combination of, I'm in my full power now. I don't feel that dropping off the cliff thing. I feel I've got a lot still going on here and I would like to find a way to use it. Some of that is a responsibility passing it down the way. So um, I'm setting up an extra little business, which is about helping young coaches and baby coaches get going. Um, So that's podcasting for them and trying to pass it back as fast as I can. Mm -hmm. I do do quite a lot of mentoring for young women and getting people going. But professionally for me, I'm I'm at that tippy toe of, oh, what should I do with this big next chapter? Because 53 to 63 feels like a really powerful 10 years. Um, so I'm interested to see what that brings. Can't decide quite what to do with it yet. So I think I better go for a run or go on holiday or <laughs> something nice and relaxing. Well, you know, whenever whenever you have that insight, I, I would love to welcome you back on to discuss what you <laughs> decided not to do and also what you've decided to do. Yeah, stop some things first. Yeah, I think some people will be really welcome to hear that. So look, Ali, uh, thanks again. Appreciate the time and the the candor, the vulnerability, the the insights that you provided about. You know, why is burnout happening now and what could we possibly do about it? So really grateful for what you've shared. Great pleasure. Thanks, Pete. You're welcome. Speak soon.